Wow. Well, 2020 didn't quite start out the way we thought, did it? These last few months have been you know, quite a whirlwind, just different things coming at us, 100 miles an hour, slowed way down to a screeching halt for the last few months, uh, beginning with the virus back in uh, February, March. But it, it's caused us to, to question a lot of things. And, and I think that the, the questions that we're answer, asking, the, the decisions that we're facing, this stuff is, we never imagined that we'd be asking ourselves these kind of questions. There's been so many uh, things that we've been confronted with that we've had, to, we've had to process that we just weren't prepared for. And I don't think anybody saw this coming uh, at the beginning of the year. And I think this, this reset series has been so appropriate to kind of do in the middle of, hey, wait a minute, stop. It's kind of like when you're going on vacation, you know, and you're headed out of town, you got the car all loaded, it up, the kids and everything, and all of a sudden you get a flat tire like a mile out of town, you know what I'm saying? You hadn't even gotten going yet, and all of a sudden just the things are going south. But hey, how many of you know God is still in control, amen? He's with us, and uh, that's right. We're gonna keep moving forward. We're here, whether you're here on a campus and any of our campuses are online with us today, we are here, and we are moving forward. God is still in control. We're excited about the future, about all that God has for us, but the questions uh, the, the, the decisions, all of the things that have come at us and, and that we never even imagined. I, I thought about this as I was preparing for the message uh, this week. I remember a couple of months ago, right at the beginning of um, the, the COVID crisis, when, when I was standing in the grocery store, I was at Trader Joe's and there was a, the, the, the shelves were empty. And I'm standing there, like, just kind of taking it all in, you know, everything that's going on around. And I, I picked up something off the shelf that I'd never even heard of. I had this, this can of food, that I, something I'd never heard of. It was the only thing left. And I'm looking at it, trying to convince myself that I wanted to try this. That, are you with me? How many of you guys got stay at a shelter at home food that you didn't want, you're not sure why you got it, it you still have it and you may never eat it? How many of you guys, just wherever you are, how many of you just bought something because you just were uncertain? You didn't know what was gonna happen, you know? And I think we all felt that sense of uncertainty at some point uh, along this, this, all of the things that we've been experiencing. In fact, I, I, have a, I still have a question uh, about, the, about this whole situation and that is, what was up with the toilet paper? I mean, it's funny now, because everybody has toilet paper. But I mean, when this thing was go, getting started, and it, it's like, really? Now, the thought, and help me with this, because I may be the only person, but the thought had never occurred to me that I might run out of toilet paper at some point in my life. I mean, is, is, am I, is that, are you with me? And all of a sudden, I'm afraid that I, and I know I got toilet paper at home. I got toilet paper at home and I'm thinking, maybe I need to get more toilet paper. <laughs> what is up with that? And, uh, and, and, and you know, you're thinking like there's a the drugstore by my house, the little pharmacy by my house, they had a roll. I, maybe I should get it. I have it, but maybe I, I mean, I, I don't wanna have to pay $25 on eBay for a roll of toilet paper down the road. You know what I'm saying? So. It, just the thought, the kind of stuff that we've, had to that we've had to think about, the kind of decisions we've had to make, and all of the things that are going on. Am I, am I gonna, if my job, is my job gonna be okay? And by the way, if you are the guy with the toilet paper, if you, if you are online and you see us, and, and you're with us right now, or one of our campuses, and, you're the, and you have a, a, a zombie apocalypse bunker full of toilet paper, we need to talk, bro. <laughs> we have a small group for you. The uncertainty, though, 
really has provided kind of a, the need, the necessity for us to, to re, reconsider in the middle of our se- the season that we're in and, and make sure in all of our areas of our life that we're aligned with God's will, God's purposes, God's word, and that we're moving forward intentionally. That's why I've so appreciated this Reset series. And, and even especially as we, as we wrap up this weekend, and I'm gonna be talking with you today about a, having a reset in your finances, there's so much uncertainty in our economy. There's so much uncertainty in, in, your, in the places of work. And you may be an employee or an employer. You may be uncertain. Maybe, maybe you're looking for a job, right? Now, maybe you've lost your job and you're not sure what's gonna happen. And in retrospect, and and you're asking yourself the questions, am I being a good steward? Was I prepared for this? Have I been living God's way as it relates uh, to my finances? Could I do better? Or maybe you're doing fine. We're all in different places. You know, that's the thing is some of us are okay. Some of us are fine. We're doing okay. We've got savings. We've got ample uh, things in storage. We've, we're, we're okay in our, in our personal store. Uh, we're, we're okay. But, but still, to be able to take a minute to look and to make sure to evaluate our lives in light of how, uh, what God says about our finances. And, and the reason why we talk about finances in this context is because our, our, our money really represents our lives. In fact, if you wanna know about somebody, it's probably more effective just to ask them for a bank statement. Because if you, if you look at somebody's bank account, you, in just a few minutes, you can tell what's important to them, right? You can tell what they value, you can tell what they prioritize, the resource, where their resources are invested. Jesus said it like this, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, right? And, and, and in fact, that is why Jesus talks so much about money, because he knew that our, our, how we deal with money and possessions and, and our treasures, our, our storehouse, is how we view our lives. It's a reflection, it's an accurate reflection of every part of our lives. You may not be aware of this, but the fact is, is that Jesus talked more about money, finances, and possessions than any other topic. In, in fact, 16 out of his, the 38 parables, the words in red, the stories that Jesus told, almost half, 16 out of 38 parables involved these subjects, money, possessions, and finances. And, and if you read through the, through the whole council of scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, he talked about it more, the Bible talks about this topic more than any other subject, including heaven and hell. Isn't that interesting? If you do a, a scan of, a, of, the, of, the, of the Bible, I mean, you can even use a search engine for that, you'll find about 500 verses in the scriptures on prayer. Prayer's pretty important. How many of you guys think prayer's important? That's something we ought to know about. Yep, amen. Believe me, I wouldn't be standing here today if it were not for prayer. You'll find about 500 verses on faith. And how many of you know, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It'd be important for us to know a thing or two about that. And we do talk a lot about that. We're faith people. We believe God's word and we build our lives in faith in the truth of God's word. But there's over... 2,350 scriptures on the topic of finances, money, and possessions. It might be important. What do you think? And I think that even though we're in the middle of the year and typically this is a, a, a topic that we'll talk about in January when we're talking about setting the stage for a new year, I think it, given the context of where we are as a people, this is a great time for us to kind of take a look, look back. Maybe I can improve uh, in this area of my life. Maybe I wasn't quite as prepared as I should have been for the crisis when it came. But maybe God has something to say in his word. And let me just say this. The reason the Bible says so much about this topic is because God wants you to live a blessed life. 
God's plan for you is for you not to be anxious and fearful about the condition of your financial state. He wants you to live in the overflow of his provision for your life. And, and he, has, he has an abundance for you and he wants you to understand he has some thoughts, plans, principles about, about finances, about money, about the things that we deal with in our lives related to our possessions and our finances. And, and, and so we can, we can glean from the scriptures these truths and begin to build our lives upon them so that we have uh, we experience God's blessing and financial success in their lives. But as a pastor, there really is another reason why I wanna talk to you about, about finances. And that is that finances are one of the greatest causes of anxiety and fear and depression in our lives. It's one of the greatest causes for relational pain, for divorce, for the dysfunction that we find ourselves in is, is that pain of financial uncertainty. I mean, think about it. How many times have you laid in bed at night wondering how you were gonna pay a bill, how you were gonna move forward financially? Maybe even in the middle of all this, maybe things didn't, weren't going well for you during this crisis, during the quarantine. You may have lost your job or, or maybe the industry that you're a part of began to completely morph into something other and, it's, it's, and, you, and you lay in bed. And, and let, me just, let me just help you. God doesn't want you to live like that. God does not want you to live in fear and uncertainty and, 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 and racked with anxiety about, how you're, about your financial future. God wants, to wants you to live in abundance and peace, particularly, you know, and it's funny, I mentioned our, your relationships. With Chris and I, we've been married 30 years. Can you believe that? We were like 10 when I got married. Um, we've been married 30 years this year. It'll be 30 years in October. And, um, and the most animated conversations, I'm, I'm using that, uh, um, the most colorful and descriptive exchanges that we've had in 30 years have almost always been about money. Anybody else? It's funny, when you sit down, when it, it seems like for years, probably for the first 15 or 20 years of our lives, and by the way, we, we, we're pretty good stewards, but for the first 15 or 20 years of our marriage, Every time we sat down to talk about the budget, a major purchase, some financial decision, it just, I just had the knots in my stomach and it was anxious and tense right from the beginning. It didn't even matter. We could both want the same thing, but there was just tension in it. You know what I'm saying? And it just happened there. And why is that? Because there's so much fear attached to that if you're not, if you're not living in the overflow of God's plan for your life financially and it attaches itself to so many other areas uh, of your life. And let me just say this before we get into the points here. I, I am not a financial guru or an expert or anything like that. I do not have a financial background other than having been making money since I was seven. Okay, I started working when I was seven. So that's uh, 52, you know, a good stretch. I'm not good at math. 45 years of, of earning income and, 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 and stewarding that. And I, always, I wasn't always good at it. But one thing I know is this. I believe the Bible is absolutely true. And I believe that, amen, that's worth clapping for. The Bible is absolutely true. And that we can confidently build our lives on the principles of God's word that relate to finances and possessions or money. Remember, it's in there more than any other topic. There ought to be plenty of material for us to glean from to build our lives on in this area. And so I wanna, we're gonna talk about this, and I, and, I, and I am convinced that people don't, don't 
aren't poor stewards or poor managers of their finances out of a bad heart. I think most of the time we just don't know what God says about these areas. You with me? In fact, I think that especially in times like this where it's uncertain, these are times when we need to really dig in and understand what is it that, 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 that God says about how to live a blessed life in, as, in, as it relates to this part of my life. And so the, the, the Bible says in Hosea chapter four, uh, the prophet Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So what I wanna do is just give you some knowledge tonight, some information that'll help you and hopefully inspire you. And we're gonna, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at three money myths, things, lies that commonly, common misconceptions that prevent us from living in God's best uh, in this area of our life. So let's jump right in. Here's the first one. Here's the first myth that I think keeps us out of God's best, keeps us from experiencing God's perspective uh, when it comes to our finances. And here it is. All I need is a little bit more to make me happy. Very common. We hear it all the time. In fact, it comes out of this kind of, this ideology that, uh, that was coined in a, a phrase from uh, John D. Rockefeller, the, the oil tycoon, billionaire oil tycoon. He said, this is what he said. Somebody asked him, how much money does it take for, you to, for someone to be happy? And he said, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. And that's so common. And, and honestly, we, we slip into that mindset, that myth, without even noticing it. Because we're, there's just this, this, this natural uh, gravitation towards the fact that if I just had a little bit more, it would fix all my problems. If, my, if I could pay all my bills and have a little bit left over, then, 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 I, would, then I would be happy. And that's the trap, is that, is that if your happiness is dependent upon having a little bit more, I got news for you, you're never gonna be happy. Because a little bit more becomes a little bit more, and then a little more, and then a little more. And then a little more, and, and, and what happens is the, 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 the sliding scale of what it takes to keep you, just keeps moving as your income increases. And you find more things that you need to make you happy and more whatever, whatever you're into, that, to ways to spend your money or even saving. You may be a, a saver, but that, that savings account just needs to be a little bit bigger for you to really feel secure. Why? Why? Because you're trying to fill a, a spiritual and emotional need in a way that can only be met by the presence of God. You're trying to fill that with material, natural things. You're trying to provide security and safety for yourself in a way that only God can provide that. And, and so as we, as we slip into that, the idea is that I just need more money. And, and so the number, as, as our income increases, the numbers just get bigger. And as we make more money, it, it, we become accessible, more credit lines are accessible to us. And so the debt that we're trying to get out of just grows with our income if our thinking doesn't change, if we don't realize that the truth is, the need that we're trying to meet is a spiritual need. It's an emotional need that only God can meet. And we're trying to meet that way, that need in a material way. You know, it's funny how we all kind of have different ways that we connect to this truth when we get antsy or when we get nervous or when we get overwhelmed, especially with technology, uh, it be, it's so accessible, we tend to shop. <laughs> how many of you guys, shopped during the quarantine when you were just sitting home bored. 
Listen, if your husband doesn't know, don't raise your hand. This is not the time to have that conversation. We got a small group for that, okay? But, but seriously, there is more stuff happening during the quarantine. I mean, Amazon, all the different companies, all the different, there's stuff just happening. And, 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 and part of it is because we get bored. We're, 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 there's something missing and stirring. We need something else to make us happy. And there's stuff going on on the inside of us. And so technology gives us the opportunity to shop. Look, I, I understand. I, I get bored. I'm sitting in a long meeting and my wife always knows when I'm not paying attention during a lead team meeting because the next day stuff starts showing up from Amazon. Sorry. In fact, it's so bad sometimes that one day during the quarantine, the UPS driver just stopped by our house to make sure we were okay because we didn't have any packages that day. The UPS guy's pastoring us. Here's what Paul said about it. This is how you change the myth of a little bit more. I need a little bit more to make you happy. Paul says this in Philippians chapter four. I know how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. What Paul is saying, you can't let the amount that you have determine your peace or your personal happiness. In other words, it's not, the, the answer is not more stuff. The answer is to find your contentment in God that God is your source, only he can satisfy you. Only he is ever going to be enough to fill that need for you. And let me just say this again, and I think I said it already, but, but listen, we believe at Church of the King, and I believe as a person who's been walking with the Lord for 30 years, that God wants to increase you in every area of your life. God wants to add to you, but he doesn't wanna add to you to, to band-aid a deeper issue. He wants to settle the issue of contentment and security and satisfaction in him and then add to you abundantly, pressed down, shaken together and running over in every area of your, not just your finances, in your relationships, in your career, in your decisions, in your children, your, your spouse, all, every part of your life that's important to you. God wants to add to you, but not as a Band-Aid, as overflow from a heart of contentment. Gratitude, amen? First Timothy six, he says this, godliness with contentment is a means of great gain. In other words, Paul is saying to us in this passage that if we're pursuing godly things and we learn to be content in that, rest in God's presence and his provision for us, to be happy with that, then God's going to add to us that's a means of gaining, of growing, of increasing in every part of our lives. Again, that we have to be grateful first and take care of what God's given us, and we have to believe God to increase us. Again, it's appropriate to trust God to increase us and make us more abounding in every area of our lives, but we have to learn to begin by learning to live content and be satisfied by the presence of God. Myth number one is, I just need a little bit more to make me happy. Here's the second one. The second myth is this, it'll all work out somehow. Now, this is the one that I see in practice the most often. This is the practice that, as a pastor, I see people avoid the issues that they have financially. Just We call it the head-in-the-sand approach. You know, you just kind of put your head in the sand, keep digging, and hope it goes away, right? And, and of course, we know that this is actually problem, the problem with that is no one's ever going to drift into a, a financial reset or financial renewal in your life, it has to be, you have to be intentional about it. You need a plan, 
right? There is a part that we play in participating with God's will in our lives. It's called diligence and faithfulness and planning. The Proverbs 21 says it like this, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but, those who have, who, but to those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. In other words, what the writer of Proverbs Solomon is saying is this, if you're diligent with your plan that, that little by little God is building and adding to you and you'll have plenty, but if you're hasty, and the word hasty here in the Hebrew actually means to an emotional reaction or an impulse if, we're, if we treat our finances emotionally, if we approach our financial state emotionally or, or, or in, with impulse, that, in, that technology access, that quick, oh, I gotta have one of those, and you're on there, or if that's how, and there's no budget for that, then it leads, the Bible says, to waste, to poverty. That it, it creates in us this, this vacuous need for, to constantly be filling things and we're emotionally reacting to our need and to our current circumstances instead of diligently working according to the plan of God in our finances and it, and it backfires on us. You need a plan. It, it, you've probably heard this before but we have lots of resources in this area but I wanna just mention quickly to you, we, we love the 10-10-80 plan because it's broad, it's very, it, it's, it's very concrete, uh, and it helps people kind of get centered in their thinking uh, about their finances. But in, in the 10-10-80 plan, it's, it, those are percentages, 10%, 10%, 80%. There, there is a, there, there's a way for you to manage your finances within the scope of God's principles of stewardship as we find in scripture. And so let me just give you this, these, three, these three parts, 10, 10, 80. The first 10%, letter A in your notes is this, pay God first. The first 10%, the Bible is very clear about this. The first 10% of all your increase goes to, the Bible, goes to God. We take the first 10% right off the top of every increase, anything that comes into me, a paycheck, bonus, sale of a property, sale of an asset, inheritance, any, if you didn't have it before and you have it now, 10%, the first 10% of that comes off right away and it's God's. We don't give it, we return it because it was his to begin with, amen? And so we, the Bible says this in Malachi chapter three, this is such a powerful truth and I think sometimes we get, become so familiar with this passage that we miss the power of it. Listen to what it says, Malachi three says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that's the, the house, the, the spiritual place where you're fed, the church that you go to, where you're spiritually fed, bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. The Lord says, test me, I dare you. Put me to, it's the only place in scripture that God says, put me to the test. He says, try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, that I'll not open the window of heaven for you and pour out for you such a blessing that you will not even have room to receive it. God is into increase, but this is the first step into that blessed life. The word tithe in the Hebrew literally means 10%, and we're bringing a tenth of all of our increase into the storehouse. And he, says, he goes on to say, test me and see if I will not pour out, open the windows of heaven over your life. Now, how many of you want that? that how many of you are looking for that result in your life, that the windows of heaven are open? And by the way, when the windows of heaven open, more than money comes out. I just want you to know that. When the windows of heaven open, blessing in every part of your life comes out, in your relationships, in your marriage, with your children, in your career, the decisions that you're making, clarity of mind, ideas, entrepreneurialism, the, all of the creative power of heaven begins to flow into your life when the windows of heaven open up over your life. Amen? That's what we want. 
That's what we want. And, and, and the Malachi, the writer of Malachi is saying, listen, this is how it happens. I'm giving you the, this is not some cryptic, mysterious thing. I hope I can figure this out. No, this is how it happens. When we bring the tithe to the storehouse, the first 10%. And listen, I can tell you, I, I, I can assure you this works. I, for 30 years I've tithed and God has prepared for us. I'm gonna tell you more about that in a minute. For thousands of years, millions of believers, Old Testament, New Testament, children of God have honored God, put him first with the tithe and he's miraculously provided for them time after time after time. And let me just encourage you, if you're not a tither, if you've not experienced this in your life, just look around the room or if you're online if, and you know somebody that are at one of our campuses, if you're watching the people who are responding and they're happy about this, message and they're clapping and they love it and they're into it ask them their story just ask them hey i saw you were really into that when pastor dave was talking about that i don't get it tell me your story believe me they'll be glad to tell you how god is blessed and covered and provided and cared and in every area of their lives because he's faithful and it's impossible for him not to amen Amen, the first 10%, it's a sacred principle. It is the key to this reset we're talking about to put God first in our lives through the tithe. Practically, that means every time we get paid, every bonus, a profit, sale of something, the Bible says that, that, we, that we bring that tithe to the storehouse. Another word in scripture that we see often used interchangeably for, for the tithe is the word first fruits. Uh, first fruits, and, and it's, it's uh, referred to synonymously throughout the Old and New Testament as another way to talk about the tithe. In fact, in Proverbs chapter three, uh, the, Solomon says this, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. When we tithe, when we return to God, the first tenth, what he's entrusted to us, Solomon is saying that we honor him with our first fruits, that we keep God first. God, listen, it's, it, is a, it is a impossibility, it is a cosmic impossibility for God to be second. He's the creator, he's the initiator of everything. He holds the universe together by the power of his might. It's impossible for God to be anything but first. And when we tithe, when we bring the first fruits of all of our increase to God, we place him first. We say, God, you are first and imminent, but in my life specifically, you're first. I tr Listen, this is what it's all about, guys. The tithe is not about obligation. It's not. The tithe is about trust. Do I have faith? that God is who he says he is, that he does what he says he's going to do, that he cares for me, that he is willing and able to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing in my life. It's about trust, it's about faith. Now, I wanna take just a second. Everybody say this, say 10, 10, 80, ready? 10, 10, 80, that's where we're going with this, okay? So let me just take a second, I wanna unpack with you this, just this thought a little bit deeper because this is so foundational uh, to, to this, this idea in your life. Now there's, a, there's such a, a, a move right now about giving and stuff in culture. In fact, you'll hear a lot of individuals and even businesses talking about paying it forward and giving back and things like that. And so there's something good about just being generous in general, right? It, it makes you feel good and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But listen, the tithe is not necessarily about generosity. You with me? The tithe is an act of worship. 
The tithe is an act of submission. It's an act of trust. It's an act of obedience. When we come to God and we honor him with the tithe, when we put him first, when we bring our first fruits to the storehouse, we're saying, God, we're, we trust you for everything. I'm giving you this because it's all yours. I'm returning this to you. It's all yours anyway. And I need your blessing over the other 90% in my life. And when we do that, when we do that, God goes, moves heaven and earth to get behind us. And, and it also postures us in the humble place of recognizing that we're just stewards. It's not our stuff. We're gonna get to that again in a minute. But the fact is, is that when God opens the windows of heaven over our lives, it's because we have postured ourselves in submission and humility before him as we put him first in the tithe. You gotta see this, it's not just about generosity, it's trust and obedience and faith. You can act generously, but not necessarily be a tither. In fact, I, this is the interesting thing, I, I, you know, because giving is such an important thing, you know, when you, you, when you buy Christmas presents at Christmas or, you, or you know, for someone or you pay for somebody's meal at a restaurant, that's, that's good, that's generosity, but that's not tithing. That's not what opens the windows of heaven over your life. You with me? And, and those offerings are good, those, those acts of kindness are good, those generous things are good, but tithing keeps money from being the first place in your life. Tithing keeps God in the first place in your life and money second. You know, there's only two gods. Jesus said that. You, cannot, you can't love both God and money. That's what he said. You'll either love one and hate the other or love one, hate one and love the other. And what tithing does is it continually puts God in that first place in your heart and keeps money in a posture of a tool. Money's a great tool, but a lousy God. You've heard Pastor Steve say that many times. And what tithing does is he, it, it keeps putting money in its proper place. You might be thinking, well, pastor, isn't the tithe just an Old Testament thing? Wasn't that just kind of something that they did in the Old Testament you know, during that season? But, and, I, and I'm glad you asked that. In fact, I was hoping you'd ask that. The fact is, though, that Jesus himself, in the New Testament, by the way, affirmed the tithe, the principle of the tithe in Luke chapter 11. He says, but woe to you Pharisees, you tithe men and rue and all manner of, of, uh, a manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. You should have done those things without leaving the others undone. In other words, Jesus was saying, listen, you, you tithe everything down to the herbs in your garden, but you pass over these other things. Now, don't stop. This is important. You need to do this, but you also need to be a reflection of the mercy and love of God. It's a both and deal. He wasn't doing away with the tithe. He was affirming it and saying, you need the windows of heaven open in your life so that you can display the mercy and the justice of God in your life. Are you with me? Those are things that come out of the windows when they're open over life. That's what we want. When I got saved in 1990, I began to tithe immediately. My, my wife and I were both raised in Christian homes. We understood this principle, and we began to tithe on every penny that we made as, after we got married shortly after I was saved. And for 30 years, we've given. And I wanna just say, for the first 10 years, on paper, we did not have enough money to tithe and pay our bills for 10 years. But we never the thought never occurred to us not to tithe because week after week, month after month, year after year, God faithfully and miraculously opened the windows of heaven and provided for us because he said he would, not because we're special, not because we're different from anybody else, but because we kept putting him first in our lives and he kept honoring that tithe by providing for us. And on paper, it did not make sense. So if you're here today and you're thinking, well, I can't really afford, this is crazy, I, I can't, I just can't do it. Let me just tell you, you can't afford not to do it. 
You, I would rather have 90% blessed than 100% apart from God's blessing. Are you with me? God provides for us supernaturally when he does this. And let me just encourage you to take these seriously and, 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 and to begin to implement the tithe in, as we reset our finances, as we reset every area of our lives to, to implement this principle of the tithe uh, into our lives. Let me move on, okay? So here's the second 10, 10%. So it's 10, 10, 80. 10 is the tithe. The second 10 is pay yourself. Now this is, the, this is really uh, the, where we talk about investments and savings and preparing for the future. The Bible even says a wise man uh, leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And so beyond, our, uh, beyond there's, a, there's a short-term savings, long-term savings, there's all those things that the Bible spells out. In fact, Proverbs chapter 21 says, there is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. In other words, there's stuff. They, got, they, they, have, they have plenty set aside. But the foolish man squanders it. And so this second 10% really needs to go into investments and savings and long term. And if you think about the crisis that we're, that we're on, coming out of right now, how much different would your situation have been? And I don't know all of your situations, but how many of you who really, this is really a, a strain and a crisis, how different could it have been had this had been a practice in your life already? And again, this, there's no condemnation. Today is a new day. God's mercy is new every morning. But this is, a, this is a principle of God's word that we need to begin to build our lives upon so that we can experience the peace and the joy that God has for us in, in this area of our lives. And by the way, if you're, if you're thinking it's a get-rich-quick scheme those are, that seem too good to be true, it is too good to be true. We're, we're talking about little by little, over time, God blessing our lives so that we can save, we can set aside, we can build a storehouse of, for every need. The Bible says that God provides seed to the sower, bread for food, and that there might be an abundance for every good work. The second 10% is to pay yourself. And then the 80 is to pay everyone else. That means that we live on that last 80%. Um, Paul says this in Romans, oh, no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. So some of you are thinking, listen, there's no way that I can live on 80%, and respectfully, I totally understand that, but a few years ago, you probably only made about 80% of what you're making right now, most of us, you know, if, you're, if you've been experiencing increases over the years, and hopefully you have, but the fact is, is that it goes back to what I said earlier. A lot of times what happens is, every time our income goes up, we just increase our living expenses. And so we never really catch up. Let me just challenge you in that area of your life. And again, if you need, if you need help with this, we have resources for you. In fact, in the fall, in, in a couple of months, you're gonna begin to hear about our Financial Peace University small groups. I heard, to, I heard this week that over 10,000 people have been through our Financial Peace uh, stewardship small, and stewardship small groups. That's amazing. And, and, that, that the, 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 and, and I wanna just stop and say this. Church of the King, you are a generous church. The fact is, is, and thank you. In fact, why don't you put your hands together at all of our campuses and online. You, you have given faithfully to the Lord. In fact, the reason we were able to partner with the Baton Rouge Food Bank today and give meals to almost 1,000 families for a month was because of your generosity. And so this is something that you understand, and hopefully this message is an encouragement to those of you who practice these principles, but an inspiration to those of you who have maybe not taken that step of faith yet. And I just wanna encourage you. This is when life begins to get exciting as a believer. And, and again, we're gonna hear more about that. If you need help in this area, we've got lots of resources. So let me quickly wrap up. Here's the third myth. The third myth is this. My stuff belongs to me. So we've talked about needing a little bit more to be happy. The issue is contentment. 
We've talked about, about the, the, the idea that if it, maybe if I don't mess with it, it'll go away, but we really need a plan, and I've talked about 10, 10, 80, particularly the tithe. The, the tithe is the foundation of it all. But finally, I wanna just leave you with this. It's human nature for us to just think that the stuff that we have, the resources, the, the material things, the possessions that we have are our things. We ownership, especially in America, we're big on ownership. But the truth of the matter is that it all belongs to God. And that truth is one of the most liberating thoughts that you can ever experience in this life. That the pressure is not on you to provide and to resource and to build and to achieve and to, to accumulate. It's God's to provide for you and to care for you and to, to open those windows and to, to, to pour out blessing and, 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 and provision in your life. Everything belongs to God. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord in all its fullness, the word and those who dwell in. It's all the Lord's. It's all God's. When you realize that your life, your salvation, your family, kids, opportunities, time, business, your money, everything belongs to God, it'll set you free. God is your source. You're not your source. You're not your source. Your, your job is not your source. Your boss is not your source. Church of the King is not my source. The government is not my source. God alone is my source. And I, and, and I mentioned a minute ago that I'd been, I'd been tither for 30 years. I want you to know this. When this thing went south, we talked a lot about all of our financial issues, all the things. We, in Church of the King, we're very good stewards. And I, I, I've never been a part of an organization that spends as much time and energy uh, on, on just making sure that we're stewarding well the finances that we're entrusted with by God. But I wanna just say this. When that thing went south, my wife and I talked, and we, we did not have one concern that we would not be provided for somehow. That, that was the furthest thing from my mind. It was the furthest thing. We were thinking, how can we help? How can we be a blessing? We're, you know, how can we help? We knew of situations. And, and, and the reason is not because we're wealthy. It's, I mean, of course, we're, we're blessed and well taken care of. But the fact is, is that we're tithers. We're not concerned about being provided for. That's settled. It's settled. I don't even think about that. It's all God's. And over and over, I've learned to just surrender all that I have to him. And I, I'm a steward. Man, it takes the pressure off. I love what David says in First Chronicles chapter 29. Yours, O Lord. Now, this is the king of Israel, the guy that owned everything. <laughs> he says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. That's the posture of a steward. That's the posture of someone who understands, man, I'm gonna do the very best I can to honor God, to put him first with all that he trusts me with. Because my, 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 my hope is that I'll do such a good job, he'll trust me with more, not for myself, but so that I can be a blessing. Because it is God's will to, to increase you in every part of your life, but not for yourself, not to make you happy, not to make you content or satisfied, but to, to, but to fill you to overflowing so that there's an abundance for every need that you encounter. Isn't that how you wanna live? Isn't that how we wanna live? God is the owner. We're the managers. You know, I, again, I, I could tell you story after story after story, but I, I, wanna, I wanna close with this thought. You know, um, in 1999, God spoke to us about a move 
uh, that would really set into motion the sequence of events that brought us here to Church of the King five years later. And, and it was miraculous and there were so many things I can't even begin. But in 30 days from the time God spoke to us, there were three significant miracles that took place to, for us to, bake, to make that first, take that first step. And when we knew that God was speaking to us, my wife and I prayed together. We, we really, it was confirmed in our hearts. It was confirmed by our pastors that we knew what we needed to do, but we didn't have the resources to do it. And, and so the first thing that we did was we had to go take a trip to, to kind of spy out the land, so to speak, kind of check things out, find a job, find a place to live and all that stuff. But we didn't have the money to take the trip. We, were, we, we, were, we, we had no debt, uh, we, but we, we just were very tight financially. And again, it was just, that season of our lives. And so one Sunday morning, we sat down and we prayed and we made a list, Lord. And we said, here's the deal. We said, Lord, it's all yours. You brought us, we never imagined to even be this far. We just bought a house. I mean, it was just all kind of, and, 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 and if you want us to do this, then you're gonna have to provide for it because we can't, we don't have the money for it. And we made a list. This is what we're gonna need. I mean, to the penny, we added everything, fuel f- for the trip or, you know, uh, food, where we're gonna stay, all those things. And we made a list This was, and we wrote it down and we just prayed and went to church. It was a Sunday morning. I was a worship leader and a youth pastor at the time. And, and uh, we went to church. We did not say a word. We lived so far, we lived in, our driveway was an eighth of a mile long. No one was eavesdropping. There was no one near our house. There, we have no neighbors. We lived up in the mountains in upstate New York. We didn't, we went to church, led worship, went to my mom's house, had dinner. There was no conversation. We agreed that we were not gonna talk to anybody about this because we, we had to know that it was God's hand. We had church again that evening. We came home in the, that evening. I wanna listen, I, guys. I, if you hear anything in this message other than God's heart to open the windows of heaven over your life, you've missed it, but it, and hopefully you're not missing it. I wanna just say this. We walked, pulled up in the driveway that night, walked up to the door, and in the screen door of our little country cottage in, on the, in the mountains in upstate New York, there was an envelope with cash with the exact amount of money on the list that was laying on our kitchen table inside the door. We don't have any neighbors. We had no conversation. The exact amount to the dollar. And we left the next morning. And here we, this is 99, here we are 21 years later. That move set into motion this. God's desire is for you to grow in your trust, confidence, contentment, faith in Him so that he can open the windows of heaven, not just to bless you, but everyone in your path, that you can be a blessing. As you trust God, as you reset, change your perspective about how God wants to use you in your life to to pour out into you, to be a blessing, to to enrich others' lives, to stop living paycheck to paycheck and, and really get to the place in your life where the windows of heaven are open in every part of your life. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what we want? Amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand at all of our campuses. The campus pastors are coming right now and they're joining me on the stage. And, uh, and I'm just gonna pray for you here at Little Creek. Campus pastors, go ahead and you can take your, take your services now. Father, we love you and we're so thankful. We're so thankful for your hand in our lives, for, your, for just this truth, Lord, that you tell us Dare me, try me, test me, 
and see if I will not prove my Father's heart to you, to provide to you every good thing. We're humbled, Lord, by your heart towards us. Fill us with your love, fill us with your power, fill us with the confidence to step out in faith and be obedient to you in this area of our lives. Lord, open your windows of heaven over the people, God. Lord, we pray that you just bless us as we go from this place. Surround us with your favors, with the shield. Keep us in your peace until we come together again in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you guys.